0: Welcome to a special interview episode of the Election Ride Home. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, we're going to run an interview I did a few weeks back with Pat Maloney. He has worked quite a bit on the ground in campaigns in Iowa, and I wanted to find out more about how that works. So let's just get into it. Pat Maloney, welcome to the Election Ride Home. First up, can you introduce yourself and give me a sense of your work in the past with campaigns?
1: Sure. Thanks, Chris. Um, so my name is Pat Maloney. I uh, live in D.C., but um, started my career uh, in 2002 working at governor's rates in Oklahoma and spent the preceding six years working on electoral politics here in the U.S. Uh, across all across the country, including uh, two presidential races, and more importantly, two caucuses in Iowa. And have spent uh, the last decade or so here in D.C. working at the Treasury Department, and uh, now as a public policy uh, consultant. So happy to happy to talk to you today,
0: Groovy. I mean, I'm hoping what we can get today is a sense of what it's like to be, especially on the ground in Iowa, right? So my first big question: the caucuses are kind of just around the corner, and I know you've worked there in previous years on various campaigns. I want to know what the day-to-day grind for a campaign staffer is. Like, how many events are there in one day? Are they tiny events? Are they big events? Is there a mix? Do you get time to sleep or eat? (laughs) How does that all work?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I I did two tours in in Iowa during the caucus, and, and my first tenure was as a field organizer Uh, The second go around, I was a statewide political director. So I think a lot of what you're doing on a day to day in terms of what your responsibilities are and what your day looks like depends on the role that you're in. Um, I think for most people, when you think of Iowa caucuses, you think of, uh, you know, the field organizer and many of the documentaries that have gone in and looked at campaigns. I think that to me, that really is the most critical role on uh, on any certainly presidential campaign is the, the field staff that are out talking and building your organization day to day are, are the most important staffers you have. And by this point in the calendar, when you're staring at, you know, 30 days and and counting down to, to the caucus, you really don't have a whole lot of uh, spare spare capacity to do anything other than, you know, maniacally check in with all of your supporters and uh, you fill your entire day trying to make sure that you're, uh, maximizing the probability that you are bringing every possible voter that you possibly can who is undecided into your candidate's camp between now and, and election day. And you think about that from the moment that you wake up uh, until, uh, you know, when you go to sleep at night, uh, which is probably, you know, late, late into the evening at this point.
0: We're going to have an episode coming up, which is an explainer about the caucuses, about what happens in the room when, you know, the caucus voting occurs. But I want to pivot to the campaign's interest in those people who are in that room. Like, I have this vague sense that you have caucus cards where you're signing people up for that. Is that something that field organizers are doing? And can you explain what those little cards are? are and to what extent you're trying to like tally them up and count them up and and, you know win by getting a lot of those
1: yeah absolutely so by now most of your field organizers have been living in the communities and building relationships with you know uh, members of the community for you know months maybe you know probably the first organizers arrived in their towns uh, almost a year ago uh, today and so they know they know more about their communities in Iowa uh, at a granular level than you would know uh, probably about your hometown. You know who votes, where they vote. You have been grabbing coffees and going to church events, going to Little League games uh, with people inside your community for almost a year now. And if you're doing your job, Uh, You have built up in every one of the precincts in your your predefined area, uh, you know, a lead volunteer contact. And by now, your days are spent connecting with all of your they're called precinct captains. They're the most important thing that you can find. And you are working with those precinct captains and your other identified supporters. Those are Iowa residents who have confirmed to you that they will be They intend to caucus for your candidate and are taking the next step of reaching out to their friends and neighbors to build the number of people who are going to show up inside of that caucus room uh, to to caucus for your candidate. Uh, And so in addition to reaching out for additional supporters, you're talking to all of the known supporters that you have identified over the last year to make sure that they have thought through logistically, how is it that you are going, do you know where your caucus location is? Do you have a plan in place for how you are going to get there, (laughs) particularly for candidates who are relying on, you know, younger uh, caucus goers or first time caucus goers? It is critical that you are, you know, having these conversations to where people are putting a plan in place because in Iowa, as, as you know, it it is not just showing up at a ballot box uh, and, and checking a box. You have to devote, uh, you know, two hours, uh, sometimes longer, uh, to get yourself to a, a location uh, and stand inside of a room uh, with your with your neighbors um, and and make your voice heard for your, the preference of your candidate. Um, you're also working through and training these uh, individuals on uh, what are the things that they should be saying uh, to supporter to und- people who show up at the caucuses undecided to get them to come support your candidate. You're also arming them with specific talking points for, uh, you know, let's say that uh, another candidate doesn't have uh, enough people to be viable. You want to train them so that they know what arguments probably would work the best to bring those supporters of each other specific candidate over into your camp uh, when the time comes. So I think if you're a field organizer right now, your days are spent Managing your volunteers, so you're continuously, you know, by this time, hopefully you have enough volunteer support that you are simply managing uh, the calls and the door knocks that need to be done that is just ongoing work of any campaign and making sure the data from all of that voter contact gets back into your system so that you can update your list and, and better target uh, your resources so that you're spending your time, your volunteers' time and your time in the most efficient way possible between now. And caucus day and also setting up meetings with your precinct captains and other uh supporters to make sure that you have a plan for each of your precincts you know where you're strong you know where you're weak uh, and you're having to make tactical decisions about where you're going to be deploying uh the resources that you can get that's your own time uh it is uh, asking for um you know events or or calls from campaign surrogates uh, that are either in-state or or nationally to call in to specific caucus goers in your precincts that are, um, you know, very influential that you want to bring on board as a, you know, you, you call them hard ones, people who go from, I like your candidate to, you know, I'm going to be with you, I'm supporting you now that you, you move them from sort of a leaner to a, a hard one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're trying to bring bring to bear uh, all of the resources of your campaign uh, nationally to help uh, juice the numbers and and get every last supporter you can in Iowa. I remember, you know, in two thousand four when I was there, we had um, you know three or four folks from you know the I, I was working for John Edwards at the time. Uh, his his foreign policy advisor in uh, his Senate office was uh, you know from Omaha, Nebraska. I was based out of Council Bluffs, and so. for the last two and a half weeks uh he this individual had worked out of our council office and we just handed him sheets of people who had said that they were concerned about uh you know foreign policy uh to call through undecided foreign policy interested caucus goers and so uh in between like hopping on debate prep calls and and calls where he was preparing the senator uh senator edwards at the time to do his official work in the Senate. Uh, I think it, there was a point in time where he was prepping Senator Edwards to talk to the Prime Minister of, of Israel. Uh, he would pivot from that to then jumping back onto the phone to talk to, you know, <laughs> random random caucus members about you know uh, what Senator Edwards' views were on this policy or that. Um, so that that really is an all-encompassing focus of your day. And um, you know, in addition to uh, you know, once once you have you, the field organizer, like the the great thing about the field organizer job is that it, it really is a place where you can cut your teeth and and get to learn, uh, you know, all of the skills necessary uh, to pursue a career in electoral politics. You are going to know your turf uh, better than anyone else alive. You are going to learn how to manage large numbers of people. You are going to develop judgment on how to make decisions of deploying resources um, more and more. Like this year, you see the ability of a field organizer to expand their reach through social media through tol- tools like Mobilize and um, and others. Are it, it really gives you a good sense and a good grounding in um, you know how to make the tactical decisions about what voters to go after, what voters don't. How to how to tailor the message uh, of your candidate to a specific voter based on what they care about, mm-hmm. um, and you know those sort of skills and and teaching volunteer and through teaching volunteers uh, the nuances of how to answer questions about the wide variety of things that caucus stories care about. It, it there's it's no accident that at least on the Democratic side, if you look at the staff who are running you know presidential campaigns. Now, um, you know, almost to a person, they started their career or had some spent in their career working, working in Iowa on the caucuses uh, doing field.
0: Well, and this leads into a couple of other questions, but I think the main thing is we have this sense that Iowa is super vital. This Iowa is a, is a predictor. But looking at the data, as far as I can tell, Obama wins Iowa, Obama wins the nomination, Obama wins the general but then rewinding on the Democratic side, the last time that happened was Carter in 76. So I'm kind of curious, like, despite, you know, Iowa's obviously important. Iowa obviously goes first. And I'm sure everyone in Iowa is very proud of the attention that they get. But I guess the question is, do you think that Iowa is as important as all the attention that it gets? Like, is there something special about Iowa that, that helps you to learn, perhaps because you're teaching all these people how to talk about your candidate?
1: Uh, so there, are sort of two questions there, right? Yeah, so yeah. Let's unpack it. I think, I think one, I think for for, for a for a staffer, um, I think going through the grueling gauntlet that is uh, the Iowa caucus, um, you know, the state you're not going to work on an electoral campaign where the stakes are going to be higher, uh, where you are going to, um, it, you have a, a, a populist in iowa because of its status as first in the nation caucus these are very informed uh voters the the iowans who participate in the caucuses and i suspect it's true on the republican side as well um you know they take uh they take the fact that they are the first in the nation and the first people who get to uh cast their vote on who the nominee should be very seriously uh and so You know, in my experience, having worked in campaigns across the country, I can't think of of a more informed uh, electorate as far as being very thoughtful and having substantive questions to ask uh, candidates. And I think it is a good, on the second part, it is a good and healthy thing uh, having uh, Iowa go first. It It is a small population state. Uh, But it is impacted by a lot of things that that uh, a lot of decisions that are made by the president. It is its economy is heavily dependent on trade. Uh, It is a um, it is a good and healthy thing that candidates have to go out and meet in small meet small and have conversations with small numbers of voters. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think if we were in a system where, you know, you had. Uh, some of the larger states uh, go first. that had higher populations. Those are campaigns that could be done, uh, you know, solely by raising lots of money and and running, uh, you know, TV and and internet ads. And and I think that the process of making candidates go through and and have conversations with Iowans and the same goes for New Hampshire and uh, South Carolina and Nevada, having conversations with individual voters. Uh, and to have to flesh out and and discuss and defend the policy positions they've taken, I think it gives candidates, uh, it makes candidates better by, one, uh, forcing them to have real conversations with real people so they can't get stuck in sort of, you know, Washington speak of, you know, this <laughs> this budget and this bill. Mm-hmm. You know, they they have to actually uh, articulate policy positions on, on issues that voters are raising to them. Not prompted, uh, but things that voters care about, and be able to talk about them in a way that um, you know you you may not have if you aren't having that direct interaction, uh, and and also I think it makes you you know that process makes you better and more prepared uh, once you get to the general election. Um, so I you know I I am I am I am in favor of having uh, you know whether I, now I think you know there there are plenty of people who want to criticize. Uh, having uh, Iowa and New Hampshire, in uh, some sense, South Carolina and Nevada have this outside say. Um, but you know it is it is a process that um, without a doubt makes makes at least it, it makes our nominees better. Having you go through this process and talk to real people uh, who who um, you know care a lot about the issues and can ask substantive questions, it makes you better prepared to be the nominee. And ultimately, I think it makes you know, better presidents having to go through a process to win the nomination of, of engaging with and earning the support of, uh, of highly educated uh, caucus goers in Iowa. I think it makes you uh, ultimately a better president.
0: Yeah, I can see the virtue of this, this notion of interacting with, first of all, small groups, real people, super engaged voters, right? But I I do wonder, what's your take on the issue of the relative lack of diversity racially within Iowa? I mean, perhaps there's not another state that would be as small or as engaged. But what do you what do you make of that?
1: I think that, you know, there are certainly plenty of people who are raising, raising those concerns. And, um you know, I suspect that once we get through this cycle and get into 2021, I think there will probably be uh, open conversation and debate about uh, the the nominating calendar and, and how it works. And, you know, it is, it is a valid... These are valid critiques. Like, Iowa is not uh, as diverse a state as the nation uh, in terms of ethnic diversity. Uh, I do think that there is... Um, uh, Socioeconomic diversity uh, in in Iowa, in that when you are showing up at events uh, and and going through all of the 99 counties, you know the vast majority of counties in Iowa are not going to be populated by people who are you know making 150 thousand dollars a year, right? So the, the the core questions and challenges facing large parts of America that have to do with um, you know, a continued trend of uh, population exoduses out of rural areas. Um, you know, those are policy challenges that, um, you know, the federal government has a role in, in figuring out uh, what, if anything, to do to help uh, communities that are, that are being left behind. And those are, those are conversations that are present in Iowa. But I do think you're right. I think that in 2021, there probably will be uh, some conversation about, you know, finding a way uh, to ensure that, um, the nominee, at least for the democratic party will not, uh, you know, that, that, that a finding a way to bring more, a broader, uh, coalition of voices into that nominating process earlier, uh, is, is a, is a, uh, something that should be, uh, you know, considered. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that it will be I, sitting here today. I don't, I don't have a, a a solution um, thought up, but I certainly think it's it's something worth looking at, and I'm I'm sure that that's going to be high on the list of whoever the DNC chair is in in January of
0: 2021. Uh, so, somewhat related to that, uh, one of the things that comes up on the show is endorsements. Now, I'm curious if you've actually experienced the effect of someone endorsing your candidate. And that making a difference, right? Like you go from day one, you know, the day before to the day after, and gosh, that really had an effect. Has that happened? Have you seen that happen? Certainly,
1: and I, and I think at this point in Iowa, a lot of you know, if you look at the polls now, um, you know, the most recent Des Moines Register poll, I think the the telling number was that you know almost six out of ten candidates were still. You know, even it, six out of 10 caucus scores still said that they, you know, were not totally committed to their candidate of choice, which means that there is a lot of fluidity still. And Iowans typically, you know, sort of wait until the last moment. And, you know, if you can get – now, Iowa is all about building momentum. And it is building a, a, an organization that can capitalize on, on momentum, right? So you're, you're mm-hmm. sort of past the win Iowa – is to organize, 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 and get hot late. And, you know, a big part of that is if you uh, can lock down, you know, some endorsements, I think, you know, Rob Sand is a pretty big endorsement this go-around, and, uh, you know, I think the Democratic congressional delegation is, um, you know, will be uh, big endorsements. You saw Joe Biden roll out Tom Bilsack's endorsement recently. I think the uh, folks like former Governor uh, former Secretary of Ag Bilsack, you know they have long, deep relationships with um, folks across Iowa, and having, you know, for some someone like Tom Bilsack who spent his entire career working on behalf of Iowans, um, you know, his throwing his support behind uh, Vice President Biden is something that could bring a lot of folks with them. I think the other uh, side of the coin is, you know, you have some pretty influential, you know, labor unions in, in Iowa that have been active caucus participants for a long time. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you can see if it's the, you know, the ISBA, the Iowa Teachers Union, or or ASME, or, or SEIU, like they are bringing, receiving their endorsement, um, brings uh, to the fore, like, additional resources that can help, one, show momentum. So that's something that your campaign can talk about uh, along with the other stats they're citing when they're making the case to national reporters about how things are going well for you in Iowa. Um, you know, touting endorsements is another way to show that, you know, things are breaking – To it allows you to make the case that things are breaking your way. Um, and, you know, I, I know that in, you know, 2008 for us getting uh, – for John Edwards, I know that, um, you know, uh, the governor's wife endorsed us sort of late uh, in the caucuses, which was a you know, big help for us uh, in terms of, you know, bringing some folks over to our side. It didn't quite get us over the hump as, uh, you know, President Obama ended up winning the caucuses, I think, with 38 percent. But, um, you know, allowed us to hang in there. I think we finished second, nearly edging out the Clinton campaign. Um, but, yeah, there are definitely endorsements that can make you know, big deal. And and for your your boots on the ground field organizer, like you, by this point, you know who the person is who is going to control the room uh, inside each, each caucus location. Uh, and you are doing everything you can if that person hasn't, you know, signed on to any particular campaign to bring that person on board, whether that is having your candidate call that person, you know, every day. Whether that's, uh, you know, finding out what, uh, you know, most campaigns have a list of national surrogates that you can, um, you know, sort of use to to dial in calls. And if you find out that, you know, the most important person in the precinct that you're having the biggest trouble in, you know, really likes uh, you know, Yacht Rock and let's <laughs> say like Jackson Brown,
0: <laughs> right? you know,
1: Jackson Brown is Jackson Brown's going to like, call you yeah, up, Brown right? Call. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> And I know that, um, you know, in in 2008, like when, when Oprah endorsed, uh, Barack Obama, like that was, that was an enormous deal. It was, uh, just because of the ability, uh, of, of Oprah Winfrey to draw, you know, a crowd, uh, and, you know, Paul Tews and, and Mitch Stewart and that crew that were running the Obama campaign in, in Iowa in 2008, you know, they, You know, they were great and they were prepared uh, to handle getting 20,000 person crowds. uh, And more importantly, were prepared to uh, capture the information of all of those individuals there and immediately throw it back into the grinder that was, you know, the day to day voter contact. Like, Mm, just getting 20,000 people doesn't matter to a rally doesn't matter if you're not actively capturing uh, data from those. Uh, attendees and then immediately getting back to them and getting, finding out who's going to be for you and then bringing them in as a part of your campaign. And, you know, I think uh, to their credit, I think the Obama campaign did a, did an amazing job of that in 2008.
2: Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill patio sunset. Hard to get better than that.
0: This thing you're describing, I think it's it's news to me, frankly, but the idea that you're, that the campaign staff is essentially creating uh, the sort of broad distributed micro staff by training up all these people and dealing with talking points. And, you know, there's a lot of people involved in Iowa specifically because of the nature of the caucus. I think that's fascinating. Um, I do think one other question that comes up constantly within our show is polling. Everybody wants to understand polling and you know, I'm not a stats expert, but I, you know, I know what a margin of error is, basically. I'm wondering, given the whole thing with second choices and so on, if you're seeing polling coming in in Iowa, is there something, is there something secret or special that you're looking for that that the normal person wouldn't understand? In other words, what should I be looking for that I wouldn't maybe just get off the headline?
1: Yeah, I think, So the first thing is that most polling is wrong uh, when it (laughs) it comes to polling Iowa. Um, And particularly, I mean, if you're a campaign staffer in Iowa, like, you know, we used to tell all of our staff and, you know, I think it's true. Like it doesn't do you any good to look at any polls. Uh, Your job, you know, how many supporters you need to identify based on the modeling work um, that you have done and looking at past caucus results and projecting how many people you believe will be showing up in each precinct. You know how many supporters you need to hit for each of those precincts. And if you're, you know, a field organizer, it does like worrying about anything other than how do I get to the numbers I need is a total waste of time and and nothing that you can control. Um, I think that the, the poll that matters is the Des Moines Register's poll is is the is the gospel. It, it nailed Obama winning the caucus in 2008. Um, it, it caught John Kerry and John Edwards rise in 2004. And I think the thing to look at, um, not just, so on, on any poll going into Iowa, I think the things to look at are, you know, I I think the support levels. So who, uh, who, whose support is, is, is soft and, whose support is moving. The interesting thing in the most recent slate of polls coming out of Iowa that that you have seen that has been a constant is that, you know, Bernie Sanders support doesn't really go up or down, but it is rock solid. Mm -hmm. He is, you know, somewhere in the low twenties. And, you know, I would be surprised if his numbers, you know, moved uh, off of that. The people who are with him are with him like period. And so I think, to me, that's one of the things that I look at to see, you know, sort of the shape of the race. I think the other thing is that if you had been looking at, you know, some of the numbers of favorability and, you know, who who is open to sort of a, a second chance, I think you would have seen in those numbers like the rise of, of Mayor Pete mm-hmm. coming as early as, as this summer. I think coming out of the Des Moines Register, you know, soapbox appearance during the Iowa State Fair. Uh, I think his campaign has been, you know, just really, really impressive uh, coming on, and and I, I think that I would watch Amy Klobuchar's numbers and and see, you know, which way she is going. She is someone as a neighbor of Iowa that, you know, understands the state really well. Iowans know her; they've been they have seen her coming into the state since she was elected to the Senate uh, in two thousand six. She has a lot of smart people working for her. I think the most recent poll I saw had her numbers spiking to 10% support in the state. So I I would be interested to see uh, what her numbers look like in terms of, um, you know, the number of people who are open to her as like a second choice in addition to her top line 10%, which to go from, you know three, 4% to 10%, like she is certainly on a trajectory of of peaking at, at the right time. The, I think the question is, you know, with this many candidates still in the race, uh, you know, how, w- what is the number that you need to hit to claim momentum and, and be part of the national media story of being one of the surprises coming out of Iowa? Because that's really what you want. There's going to be a winner and then you want to be, your campaign either wants to win Iowa or be you know, one of the two or three candidates that exceeded where the support levels that people thought, uh, which will give you some oxygen going into, you know, the next tranche of of primaries in in New Hampshire and and Nevada and South Carolina, and hopefully can give you some boost uh, so that you can, once you get out of South Carolina, you can have some momentum getting into getting into the Super Tuesday states.
0: It sounds like what you're telling me is this idea that You've got a vote number within your you know, district or your little region, you know, the number you're trying to hit and your data may well be better than polling data. That's an interesting thing. That's an interesting thing for somebody on the outside of an election to understand, because I think we look at polling and say, well, that's probably an okay predictor. But if you're on the inside of the campaign, are you really going for a number? You're like, this is my win number. As long as I hit this number, that's, that's the net result that I need where I am.
1: Yeah. Like the unique thing about Iowa is that, um, you know, think about it. these campaigns are spending by this point, you know, tens of millions of dollars. A lot of that money has gone into building a, a database where, you know, uh, and have modeled, uh, you know, who you think is going to show up. Uh, and and all of as a as a macro, as a presidential campaign, all of your resources are going to be based on. And those decisions are made off of how do we get the numbers we need to get to, to be successful in Iowa. And, you know, depending on who your campaign is, being successful in Iowa may be defined as, you know, winning. It certainly looks like, at least for Mayor Pete and, and um, you know, I, I don't know that uh, the Vice President Biden's campaign believes that they need to win Iowa uh, in order to be successful, but I, I, I think that. You know whatever, however, your campaign is defining. Um, you know, winning Iowa for your where you are in the race and how you see the race unfolding. You have modeled down uh, and, and know in every precinct how many supporters you need uh, to be viable. And the universe of people who show up at a caucus. You know, two thousand eight was the largest universe of caucus goers. On the Democratic side, we've ever had it at around, you know, 240,000 and change. I would suspect with the number of candidates we have and some of the rules that have changed uh, in the caucuses, I, w- I would expect a number higher than that. But even if we say it's 300,000 people, like you've had a staff of, you know, 100 uh, in the state in the entire year, that is a list that you personally, as an organizer, have probably personally talked to. Or not, and knocked on the door of every caucus goer that is in your geographic turf. Uh, you know these people and you know, all right, in precinct one, I, I know that I currently have, you know, 12 ones in that precinct, but my win number that, that has been, uh, you know, hammered into me by my uh, by my state director and field director is 18. And so you are just working every every meeting that you have with your precinct captain and your team for, you know, precinct one is all right, we're at 12. How do we get six more?
0: Right.
1: How do we get, you know, how do we exceed that number? And then once, of course, like you're greedy. And once you get to your <laughs> number of that precinct, like you're still going to be telling that precinct captain, like, all right, like how do we find, you know, 10 more, how do we find eight more? But you know, that if you're over your win number in that precinct, you could also as the manager of, you know, yours, by this point, you don't, you're not, you have managed, if you've done your job effectively, you've managed yourself out of the day-to-day voter contact. And you have precinct captains and volunteers that are doing all the voter contact that you had to do uh, when you first arrived. Right. And so you can focus your time on the places where you're not as strong. Um, and, you know, you just have to hope that your modeling is right.
0: Right, right. So we're running low on time. I just have two questions left. Let's do it. All right. So... I know that you had to drive around quite a bit. I'm assuming that driving is a core function of getting from place to place in Iowa. And I'm curious, what do you do to kill the time and stay sane and awake when you're driving through cornfields trying to find the the next town?
1: Well, I suppose that most people would would listen to the radio, but I can remember distinctly um, when I first moved to Iowa in 2003. The first night that I stayed uh, in my dilapidated apartment building, uh, that I moved into in council bluffs. I had someone broke into my car and stole my radio.
0: Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. Because, because
1: (laughs) because I was tight, uh, on, on money, uh, and was trying to save up for, uh, an engagement ring for my now wife. Uh, I did not replace that radio. So while I was busy putting (laughs) 45,000 miles on my car, uh, over the next seven months, I, uh, occupied my time either by, talking on the cell phone and, and finishing calls while I was driving around, uh, or listening to audio books from the council Bluffs public R- library on, and this is probably going to date me a yellow, uh, Sony, uh, Walkman. Yep.
0: Yep. Yep. The sports one. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. It was great. It was great. <laughs> Did
0: you say 45,000 really miles?
1: 25,000 miles.
0: Okay. Okay. Which
1: which which was which came came in very handy when you filed your taxes and uh, <laughs> yeah said I drove twenty five thousand miles and they're like how much did you get reimbursed and then they I learned what the federal minimum mileage reimbursement rate was and realized that that yeah you know ended up being helpful helpful in my quest to uh, <laughs> uh, buy this engagement ring.
0: <laughs> I, I, it sounds like she said yes, so it looks like it worked out.
1: Indeed. It, 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 is, it is a joke to this day that I presented her with her engagement ring uh, eight weeks before we were made.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. OK, last question. We have a lot of younger listeners and also very engaged listeners. Right. And they often ask, what specifically do I do to get involved with the campaign? Now, granted, for this campaign, it's probably too late to go and you know become a field organizer in Iowa, I would assume. But from your perspective, if you're somebody who's out there who really wants to support candidate X uh, and they're not just given money, they want to get involved, what specifically would you say they ought to do?
1: I think for people who are, who are college age that have the ability uh, and the desire and, and have a candidate that they want to support, uh, you know, every candidate would be more than happy at this point uh, to set you up with a place to live. Uh, if you could get yourself to Iowa and, and be there for you know the last stretch run, those volunteers that come in at the last uh, for the last stretch of, of the caucus are you know people that you know are really invaluable in terms of um, you know helping to make sure that all of the work gets done that needs to get done. Um, you certainly, is, you know, it, it is uh, through through apps like Mobilize. Um, You know, you don't have to drive all the way to Iowa or fly to Iowa. You can uh, connect with your campaign of choice and get plugged in and, um, you know, download. I'm sure that each campaign has their own app that will allow you to call caucus goers or, or call volunteers, uh, you know, from right where you are. Uh, And I would, you know, recommend you do that. It's uh, it's great. It is, you know, the Iowa caucus is, Is one of the places where, you know, it is. If if you want to talk about what representative democracy is and what makes our our country great, it is like the one place where, um, you know, you are going to be making calls to people who can honestly tell you that they've never voted for a presidential candidate that they did not meet and shake their hand. Uh, And if you want to do your part for helping your candidate out, um, you know, finding a way to help out with and pitch in with the efforts that are going on in Iowa, or, you know, if you're in the Northeast, New Hampshire or South Carolina or Nevada, like, you know, now's the time. And I'm sure every candidate out there uh, in their campaign would be more than happy to put, put you to use. Um, And so I I would suspect, I would say just go to the website of your favorite candidate and um, find the volunteer link. And, and I'm sure that uh, it will put you in touch with the people you need to talk to so that you can start, Uh, making calls or if you have the ability to set you up with housing so that you can get into one of these early states and spend your winter break, uh, you know, talking to caucus goers or primary voters in New Hampshire or, uh, or South Carolina.
0: So this is crucial. It sounds like what you're saying is it is not too late with only weeks to go. You could still make a difference. You go click on the get involved link and go for it, right?
1: Now's the time. 'Cause once once Iowa happens, like I think a lot of the candidates are gonna realize that, you know, this isn't gonna be their year. So if if, if you feel passionately about one of your candidates, no matter where they are in the polls, like now is the time to uh, jump in and, and start helping. I think I, I think the most important thing is that if you're at all interested in, in politics and you feel like, you know, you want to get involved and you wanna do something, um, you know, you have a unique opportunity between now and the Iowa caucuses to play an outsized role in who the Democratic Party is going to select as their standard bearer in 2020. So if you want to be a part of that, your biggest opportunity to make a meaningful uh, difference in who that candidate is, is to find a way to get involved in Iowa like now.
0: Right on. Thank you, Pat, for joining us on the show. And I guess I'll let you get back to the rest of your day. Appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Well, that is it for the first interview episode of the Election Ride Home. I'm curious if you all want to hear more like this one. You can send me that message on Twitter, at Chris Higgins, or if you're more of an email person, just find me on chrishiggins.com. There's a contact form there where you can just email me directly. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to you all after the holiday break.